You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to The Strength to Heal, brought to you by the United States Army Medical Department, AMED. Your host is trauma surgeon Dr. John Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong is a former Army colonel who served as director of the U.S. Army Trauma Training Center in Miami, Florida, and as chair of the ACS Army Committee on Trauma. Daily Mass Casualties, Putting Order into Chaos, Lessons from Army Medicine. Our guest is Major and Dr. Colin Magoo, a general surgeon at Landstuhl Regional Medical Center in Germany. Wie geht's, Dr. Magoo? Danke, good to talk to you. What we're going to talk about is how severely injured casualties are managed on today's modern battlefield and beyond. You've had experience in Iraq in the current war, and you are now stationed at Landstuhl. Why don't you share with us how it is that a casualty moves from point of injury to a place to get definitive care? Sure. When we look at casualties downrange, and downrange being Afghanistan or Iraq, these are people who are injured kind of forward of medical care in most cases. Their initial care will be provided by buddy aid or medics in the unit. They move from there to the nearest medical facility that can provide the level of care that's required. And that can be a level two facility, which is a battalion aid station or some equivalent, which may have resuscitative capabilities. But really, surgical capabilities, the ability to do the damage control operation, the ability to stop uh, life-threatening hemorrhage, really arises at the forward surgical team or at the combat support hospital where surgical capabilities are available. The combat support hospitals and my experiences from Iraq are kind of scattered throughout the country and are centers that attract, you know, casualties, be they brought by ground or air ambulance. We call that the level three hospital, the combat support hospital at that point. And so that would be akin to a level two trauma center in the United States? Absolutely, absolutely. The availability of surgeons and radiologists and all the support, blood products are available. Again, laboratory facilities, pharmacy facilities are available there. And then once you leave the combat zone, what happens next? So the mission, in my mind, of the Level 3 hospital, which is that combat support hospital, is stabilize the patient for transport. They know early on that these patients are injured severely. They'll certainly need multiple subsequent operations. Most of these wounds are just absolutely devastating wounds, soft tissue wounds, abdominal wounds, head trauma. This is not uh, small caliber, low velocity wounds. This is not the motor vehicle accident at 50 miles per hour on the highway. These are just absolutely devastating wounds that require multiple, multiple operations and months and months of rehabilitation. So their mandate is stabilize the patient and evacuate them for the next level of care. And so that next level of care is where? That next level of care is here at Launch Tool. We're a level four facility. It's the equivalent of maybe a general hospital, a level two trauma center. In fact, we just received our level two trauma center verification through the American College of Surgeons recently. That's a first, isn't it? Absolutely a first. I believe we're the first hospital outside of the United States that has that designation. So I think it's a real honor to be kind of recognized and validated in that way and just recognized for 
the quality of care that's provided on a daily basis here. What happens when you're talking about managing tens to hundreds of casualties with multidimensional injuries? What is that like in Iraq? I found, just in my experience, and I know there are multiple physicians out there with their own experience and their own stories to tell, but in my mind, you know, I finished a residency in 2005 and deployed several months later to Iraq, and it was just absolutely eye-opening for me just to be standing in the emergency room in Baghdad and to see dozens of casualties, you know, local nationals, American service members, just show up in numbers in a stream of injuries that just doesn't seem to end. And as the providers, as the surgeons, as part of a team taking care of these patients, you don't get to stop until that stream of patients stops. So unless you have a plan of attack, unless you have a plan for how are you going to take care of these people expeditiously, safely, the game could be lost early on. So what was the plan? One of the nice things I thought downrange, and I think in Army medicine, that maybe I'm biased, but that perhaps the Army does better than most of their civilian counterparts is to think about practice run through strategies to manage multiple patients. And I think one of the things they do very well is to get the maximum benefit from every member of the team. And so I think we pay a lot of lip service to the team concept where there are nurses and techs and anesthetists and surgeons and ER physicians, but we pay that lip service, but that's a real truth. There's an embodiment of that principle there where you are reliant. You are one person, but you're one person amongst a sea of professionals who are all working together to provide care. And it's from the little things of, well, who's going to drive the gator to pick up the casualties? Who's going to hold the doors open? Who's going to check patients for weapons? Who's going to make sure that x-rays are done? Who's going to make sure that emergency blood is released? Who's going to make sure that that blood is transported to the operating room in an efficient, timely manner? These are all the little stumbling blocks of trauma that, until you have a mass casualty, game playing and just talking about it doesn't really capture the 1,001 individual tasks, the individual stumbling blocks that are necessary to uh, overcome. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Strength to Heal, brought to you by the United States Army on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. John Armstrong, and our guest is Major and Dr. Colin Magoo. We are discussing lessons in mass casualty management from Army medicine. Well, it sounds clearly like the answer to uh, flow of casualties and to safety and security really rests with established roles on teams and through drills. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the training that we receive is on role play, drills, moulaged patients, created scenarios. There's good and bad to that. There's advantages in that it helps you start thinking about the roles and tasks that need to be accomplished. But there's also a limitation because I think in trauma management, the devil's in the details. In mass casualties, maybe 
your limitation is going to be the fact that you have only one portable x-ray machine that's working, and you need to get films on 30 patients with extremity fractures. Maybe you need 30 chest x-rays, and maybe you need 30 Doppler exams. So I don't think the human mind is good enough to come up with all the ways in which you can be limited by personnel, technology, supplies, and your resources. I would imagine what you come up with then is figuring out what's really important for this population of casualties when they arrive. What are the things that you must address quickly, like stopping the bleeding, airway, pneumothorax, and then you sort out what you can defer until some of the dust settles. Is that right? That is absolutely true. And we have kind of a very strong emphasis in the military, certainly, of early hemorrhage control, early decompression for pneumothoraces. In our mind, the two big preventable causes of death from battlefield injuries are from untreated pneumothoraces and extremity hemorrhage. And so highlighting one of the differences, say, between the military and civilian world, we believe just in our environment of early use of tourniquets for bleeding extremity wounds because to have someone exsanguinate from an extremity wound in our mind is indefensible and thoroughly preventable. And just same thing uh, with treating pneumothoraces. And we push that treatment of pneumothoraces early on into the patient's care. It doesn't have to wait for the general surgeon to show up. It doesn't have to wait for the emergency room physician to be there. This could be the flight medic who first sees the patient and can maybe do a needle decompression. These are things that, you know, in our ATLS review and training is valuable, and these are absolutely life-saving maneuvers. As you reflect now on your experience in Iraq and Landstuhl, has the way that you look at mass casualties changed? I think so. I think I've become a lot more humble. I realize that it's not one person doing it all. Again, back to that team concept approach. I think that you realize that every person can make a contribution to the care of patients. I think that you can look at different organizations that have developed that muscle memory, I suppose. There's a way in which you see a group of individuals who take care of trauma over and over again, mass casualties over and over again, and after a few months into it, there comes a point where you think they've got it. They've got it. It clicks. It works together. Everyone has their assigned roles. They're not overwhelmed. It's the, you know, Samuel Shem quote of, you know, in a, he mentioned cardiac arrest, but I'll extrapolate that trauma. In trauma, the first pulse to take is your own. And then once you've done that, you realize we can handle this. And that institutional knowledge is invaluable. Well, we've been talking with Major and Dr. Colin Magoo, emphasizing that the way to put order into chaos with mass casualties is through practiced teamwork. Dr. Magoo, thank you very much for being our guest. It's been a delight. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Strength to Heal on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. The Strength to Heal is brought to you by the United States Army Medical Department, AMED. For more information on this or any other program and to access our on-demand features, please visit us at ReachMD.com. For more information regarding Army medicine, go to healthcare.goarmy.com heal to learn more.
When we talked to Captain Ernesto Cardenas, an OBGYN in the Army Medical Corps, we asked him why he chose the Army for his practice. His answer surprised us. He didn't talk about being given an established practice or not having to worry about insurance, employees, or rent. He didn't say that he enjoyed having the most advanced technology at his disposal or being a member of one of the world's largest healthcare systems. Captain Cardenas talked about giving back to the country that had given him so much. He went on to tell us about practicing in a humanitarian mission to his native Colombia and the sense of pride he felt in providing free care to people in need there. A medical career in the U.S. Army or Army Reserve is rewarding on many levels, personal and professional. You can reward your career, your country, and your life for a lifetime. Exercise your strength to heal. Visit healthcare.goarmy.com heal to learn more. That's healthcare.goarmy.com heal.